February 1st, 2023. Let's continue talking about uh, several passages from Morene Vuchim. What we discussed in the last couple of classes uh, was how Harambam, in several contexts, when he addressed in whatever situation he found himself in, concepts that you and I might associate, appropriately so, with that name Kiddushah, instead of having and associating it with an inherent Kiddushah and sanctity, Harambam took some sort of essence of sanctity out of it and instead gave it to, uh, I guess the best way to say it is, to human beings to define or to bring forth whatever that elusive word, that mysterious word, Kiddushah, means. Uh, so, for example, we addressed uh, language, Lashon HaKodesh, was meant to have a sanctified, a holy language, uh, whereas someone like Rabbi Udah Levi, Ramban Nachmani, talk about Lashon HaKodesh, the language of Hebrew being the language of God, the language of prophecy, because inherently it's something to it is godlike, is divine. For Harambam, it was just about the way that we use that language. It's what it informs us as human beings. It's the fact that that language doesn't have dirty words. The last class we addressed, Eretz HaKodesh. What does it mean to have a sanctified holy land? How is it that Eretz Israel is sanctified and holy? Someone like Rabbi Hudah Levi, again, associated that with something inherent to the land, the land, Ramban Nachmani as well in that context, the land, something about it, has a godlike quality because that's the way it is. Abraham was told to go there because that's the land that has that inborn metaphysical DNA known as Kiddushah. Whereas Harambam, if we read his words carefully and properly, did not envision it that way. Uh, this week, I'd like to take it just one more step, uh, not even forward, to the side, and to address another very, uh, at least in our collective consciousness as a nation, sanctified place. I want to talk about the Mishkan, I want to talk about the Mikdash, um, which by definition has the word Kodesh in it, and address, well, what does that mean in the world of Harambam? Why is it, how is it that this place is affiliated, associated with sanctity and holiness, how would someone like Harambam address such an entity, such a place? But before doing so, I just want to, as a follow-up to last class, so I want to begin just with the first two sources. You'll see I, um, I, thought, I thought I made a marker to separate those first two from the, last, from the rest, but okay, that's, you should mark those off from the rest. The first two sources stand apart because they're really just a follow-up to last class. Uh, instead of reading from the Moreh, I want to instead read from Harambam's words in his Mishneh Torah. It's in Perekev, Hilchot Melachim, Halacha Zayin, all the way through Halacha Yodbet. I really gave you snippets of it. This is Harambam's Halacha work. It's the end of it. It's his Hilchot Melachim. And over here in this Perek, what Harambam is talking about, ironically, is not only the... Uh, a rabbinic statement in his eyes that it's important and maybe a necessity to live in the land of Israel, but what he envisions as well is a biblical prohibition of residing, of living in Egypt. Of course, you might you know, immediately, if you know anything about Harambam, be jolted. He lived in Egypt. He was an Egyptian for all intents and purposes. Okay, I mean, it's, it is quite a question, uh, and this, not without many answers, but none that he directly addresses, although there was and is, although to the best of my knowledge, it's 
a legend, and far from the truth, a legend that he, Chacham Vadei Yosef quotes this uh, in the name of, I think, Sefer Kaftor Vafera, that uh, he would sign his letters, I am Moshe ben Maimon, who every day violates three prohibitions from the Torah for residing in Egypt. Apparently, lo hayav lo nivra, as per... Um, Firstly, seeing his writing a few times, signatures, and speaking to people who own his writings. I'm told there's no such thing. But okay, all that notwithstanding, I want to just read to you his words together here in Perekev Hilchot Melachim. And keep in mind as well, Harambam, where he has a Sefer HaMitzvot, where he enumerates, he counts every single one of the, in his mind, 613 mitzvot from the Torah, uh, as is well known, does not count the mitzvah of living in the land of Israel, Yeshuv Haaretz, Ramban Nachmani, in, his, in, his, uh, in his, his corrections to the book, and the mitzvot Sheshachach Harav uh, mentions, well, you forgot to mention as well, there's a mitzvah of Yerushat Haaretz, which is eternally binding, it's not just the first conquest, it's at all times, but Harambam doesn't go quiet in his Mishneh Torah, he does mention the importance albeit probably just rabbinic in nature, uh, in terms of quantifying living in the land of Israel as a mitzvah. So let's just for a moment read how he describes it and, and question as we do so, why he mentions these two seemingly opposite and polar, polar opposites, not living in the land of Egypt, living in the land of Israel. What is it that he is teaching us if we read between the lines, if we read carefully, about the land of Israel and its unique nature, uh, which of course would, if, if we read it that way and if, if we render it properly, perhaps, will dovetail with what, what, what we talked about in the past. He writes at the beginning here, umutar lishkon bechol ha'olam. Thankfully, it's permitted to live in the, any place in the world. Chutz, except for me'eres misraim. Minayam agadol v'ad ha'ma'arav arba me'ot parsal, arba me'ot parsal, keneged eres kutz, kushen keneged ha'midbar. Okay, so Hanambam gives you the exact contours, and he makes clear, it's prohibited. Ha'kol asulit yashevba. It's entirely prohibited to live in the land of Israel. Where did he come up with that? I mean, these are words of the Hachamim, Bishlosh Egypt. I'm sorry. Yes, there's no prohibition of living in Israel, but Egypt. There are three places. Would you know it? One is in this week's parasha, uh, where the Torah prohibits returning to the land of Egypt. Now, if you read it in this week's parasha, to a certain extent, if you read it every single one of the times, you don't per se read that as a prohibition. The Torah says that it's almost a promise of God. I'm not going to bring you back to that land. And everything that I placed upon you in that land is behind you. Rabbis read it as a prohibition. Alexandria, Bechlal Ha'isur. And not only does he mention those psukim, he makes clear Alexandria is part of that Isur as well. Okay, uh, again, the legal ramifications aside with regards to himself, with regards to... I don't know, my, my grandfather and others who lived there as a halacha class for another time. Mutar, he continues, la hazor There is a permissibility to return. I thought you're not allowed. No, provided that, it's lishorav If the expressed purpose is for business reasons, for commercial reasons, if it's to conquer more lands on behalf of the nation, uh, well, then it's permitted to, to enter into Egypt. It's specifically prohibited uh, to reside there in a permanent fashion. He says, furthermore, it would appear to me, 
Now, where he's getting this from is not really our purpose and, and issue right now either, but that's an interesting statement. He says, if the land of Egypt was conquered by a king of Israel, well, then there'd be a permissibility. Well, that's already telling us something about inherent nature of lands. It doesn't appear then that there's something inherently uh, with regards to, I don't know, the climate or the topography or the geography of the land. Uh, after all, he says, if it was conquered by Israel, well, you could go and reside in Egypt. What's that? Okay, but maybe, again, take yourself out of rationalism for a moment and think about it as the evil land which is uh, just embedded and embedded with evil spirits and spirit. Okay, quite clearly Haram Bam is not saying that. What's that? Unfortunately, no. Did you feel it when you were there? I the plane was landing. I said, God took us out of here for a reason and I will tell you, it was not a fun place to be. Really? No kidding. Dirty. Every intersection is a competition. I mean, it was All right. Well, there's your there's your non-Maimonidean side. And here is perhaps the most critical words. Understood. I, I was not hoshed otherwise. Otherwise, Harambam makes clear the issue with Egypt is not Egypt itself, but the Egyptians. And what he means by that is whoever he's referring to, or the Torah more specifically is referring to, it's people whose ways are mikulkalin, are crooked, are wrongful. That's the issue with residing in the yeah. land of Egypt. Okay, whether it's still a constant or not, you know, I'll leave. Shene Emar, and he's Medayek in the Pasuk in the Torah. Kema'aseres Misraim. It's not just the land, it's the actions of the land that's most problematic or, or is problematic. Okay, so that was the conversation about Egypt. Now about Israel, just a bit. There's a prohibition to leave, quite the opposite, the land of Israel, uh, to, to go somewhere else. Ever. And there's, you know, I've, what are you going to say about, uh, I don't know, the people collecting this morning? They seem to be speaking Hebrew. They came from Israel. Yeah, obviously, we're going to find some exceptions, but the statement is you have to be there. Ela lilmod Torah, and by extension, well, to support Torah is the understanding. Olisa isha, to get married. Ola sil minagoyim ve'ahazolaharetz. If the if, if the mindset in any of those three circumstances return to the land, and similarly, you could leave for business, for commercial, for, for financial reasons. Continues Harambam. Israel. He's citing from history and rabbinic writings. Uh, they would have such a passion for the land. Uh, this passion and, and, and romantic passion, they would kiss uh, its, uh, the, 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 the ground as they entered, uh, they would uh, roll in its uh, dirt uh, because of that love of the place. 
Amru Hachamim, and then he has several rabbinic statements. Anyone who resides in the land of Israel, their sins and their punishments are, are uh, forgiven. Le'olam concludes Harambam for our purposes. Yadur Adam be'eris Yisrael, afilu be'ir sheruba goyim, val yadur be'chutza la'aretz, afilu be'ir sheruba Yisrael. He says, it's, uh, you should find your way to Israel and live even in a city in Israel that the majority of the people uh, are non-Jews as opposed to living outside of Israel in a city where the majority of people are Jews. Uh, in, in his writings? Why do you say so? Oh, oh it, it, bi- biographically comedic. Yeah, understood. Understood. Uh, I, so he's not. So he's not per se explaining that. He's he's quoting from Amare Hachamim. We do expect an interpretation over here. He has a mention as well. I put an ellipsis, but if you continued reading about the merit of being buried in the land of Israel, which is also an interesting statement, which has to be addressed separately, in my opinion. But most specifically over here, it's to notice that in this chapter, in Perekev Hilchot Melachim, what Harambam effectively is doing is putting right next one right next to the other the prohibition of residing in the land of Egypt, uh, right next to its opposite, which is living in the land of Israel. Now, whereas living in the land of Israel, he doesn't really provide the rationale of not living in the land of Egypt. He very much, very much defined that. That's what I told you with the critical words. If we're to then read it carefully, and I think, and, uh, and Professor Levinger in, in source number two in his book, Harambam Ke Philosophic Posek, really leads us in this direction. Well, then maybe the proper reading and, and the suggestion, and it's very much in line with everything we've discussed in the past class, goes like this. The reason you can't, should not, may not live in the land of Egypt, says Harambam, in defining this Isur is because of the ways of that land. Nothing inherent, nothing growing out of the land or creeping into your body, nothing about the air in the physical or metaphysical way. By extension, the land of Israel, well, what's so special about that land? That's a land which lays potential for you to be acting properly. Uh, For example, it's the place where mitzvot are possible in ways that they're not outside of that land. It's the land which in its ideal sense is governed by a nation who are abiding by Torah and mitzvot. To the extent that this argument uh, seems to be cogent and clear. He had those words in the middle, Yeraeli, it would appear to me, where he threw in something new, and that was that if the land of Egypt was conquered by Jewish rule, uh, well, then it's permitted to be there. Why should that be? That's what Harambam wrote. Well, that being the case, uh, if we follow the logic through, that very much matches our picture over here. The land of Egypt is not per se evil, n- nor is the land of Israel in Inherently special, it is special, it is sanctified, but it's sanctified and special not because of some sort of essence which is just there, which was just proclaimed and ordained by God, but rather because of the people who are there and have been there and will be there. That contradicts our original, because God originally said you will, you'll, that's where you'll live, that's the land I'm going to give you. The people weren't there. You're saying the people were already there and the ways of those people... No, I'm, sa- I'm saying that... that. Well, the fact that people 
that's a place. No, but yes, that's he said but, that he, God but, told us he but free, there was no one there. there. Yes, it begs, sure, it begs the question, Joe, it begs the question, and that's really what you're asking, the question you're, you're asking is, so why did he choose that land? That's the best of my understanding of your question. That's an interesting question, but I will remind you that his words to Abraham were not, go to the land of Canaan. Ever. They were, go to the land which I will show you. The reason it became a land of that sort was because Abraham went to the land which God told him to, not because that land was a destined land because God uh, embedded it or imbued it with something. Did That's God the, told him to go to the land which I tell you to go? He told him to go there? Yes, he did. Okay, so that... That's his question. Once, no, no, his question was, so why did God choose that land? I know, I'm just saying Ramban's explanation is kind of post the fact, that's all. I understand his explanation of God just desi- needed to designate a land, for just to say it simply. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we needed somewhere to go. And he chose that land, and it could be for um, one of a multitude of reasons. But what I'm explaining, and, and Harambam would say this, he would say that the climate is better there. He would. He writes it elsewhere. But that isn't the source of sanctity. The source of sanctity, the holiness of the land, whereas many, if not all, others would say, that's just what it is. Arambam would say, it's because of kibush it's, it's because of the mitzvot which were fulfilled there, it's because you listened to God and went there. What about yes. the rock? Which one? The primal rock, what's that, that rock? Even Ashetia. Isn't there a rock in, in the Beth HaMikdash? Yes, according to tradition, Even Ashetia. Yes. That one. Okay, what about it? Isn't that like the holiest site? Why is it the holiest site? Isn't that where Hashem created the world? Let's say. According to tradition, it is. Why is that therefore the holiest site? Well, okay. A. B. What does it mean he created? It means it emanated from there. I mean, these are all important points, but does that mean that it therefore is inherently sanctified? That's where we're going. According to most, the answer is yes. According to Bam, not per se. Yes, Abe. Anywhere where the people are evil, yes. yes. It, it should be by extension, anywhere, yes. But shouldn't, then sh- it should be that if Mishnah got taken over by anybody, that was or Sure. Why, so then why does he say that? Why does who say what? I think it's anti the point that it's, it's not inherent, that if you, he would say, if another nation took over Mitzrayim that wasn't evil and changed their ways, you could live there. That's, that that, that is that. a very, a very, he said, he said if Israel took over, you say by extension, no, if no, anyone, anybody. I, I gotcha, that's an interesting point. As a matter of fact, in the conversation about, quote, how could Harambam live there, that is one of the po- points that is, is set forward, is that the nation there today is no longer the nation that was there back then. You know, they've got Sanhiriv came along and uh, mixed up all the nations. We don't have that nation there any longer. I mean, the, the claim is made along your lines. I, I haven't been at all the places. I just want to know, are we, are we pushing the envelope by saying that he doesn't think it's inherent? Or is it very blatant well, in his writing? Last class, I think it was quite clear. I think this class, the beginning of this, I think makes it pretty clear as well. 
So I, I, I'd, I'd like to say that we're not pushing the envelope in, his, in, in stretching his words. I think he's quite, well, I think well, he's quite well, straightforward. To be fair, we're not talking specifically about Israel in this section. He's talking about not living in Egypt. But the not living in Egypt is not a function of the land. It's a function of... And then, by extension, the living in Israel, which by placing one next to the other, the suggestion is... He's implying, not explicit, but he's implying by placing one right next to the other. He says, let me talk about good lands and bad lands. Bad lands is the best, easiest way to say it. Bad land, because of the people. Good land, good land. What, what, what? The suggestion is because of what's taking place there. That's the suggestion. Okay, well, that being the case, what, yes, Jeff? One thing I will say, though, all that was promised to Abraham and Yaakov was linked. Right. Really that God says he's going to be Last week he gave us our first, but the brief was that he's going to be going to No, there's plenty to be done. Land for, as an opportunity to yeah. do to follow Derech Hashem. But it's through the land. So that we, we weren't promised Torah until... All right, but we were, fo- we, we, we were, so we were following Derech Hashem. Oh, Derech Hashem is like Asot Tzedakah Mishpat. Who said? That that was, if you recall, Harambam's words quite clearly about Behirat Haaretz was about the governance. That's it. Land so that you could do Derech Hashem. That was it. All right, well, that being the case, what I, as promised, what I want to do this week is uh, to talk about Mikdash and Mishkan in thought of Harambam. Again, Mikdash, with the name Mikdash, Kodesh in it, it would always be, and uh, it, it, you know, whereas he had to explain to us Eretz HaKodesh and Lashon HaKodesh, how would he, and he doesn't directly address it, but how would he explain uh, Kedushat HaMishkan, Kedushat ha. Mikdash. So I want to, together with you, read a little bit from Helegimal Perek Memhe, uh, which is on the other page that I uh, gave out. And uh, here is in the midst of dealing with different collections of mitzvot. That's what he does uh, during a, a, a certain portion of Helegimal in the Moreh. And so he begins and he says, HaMitzvot HaKilulot B'Kvutza HaAsirit Hen Asher Maninu B'Elchot Bet HaBechira V'Elchot Kleha Mikdash V'Avdim Bo V'Elchot Bet HaBechira so it says, if you look in these three sections in Mishneh Torah, that's the next, that's his, that's his halacha book, of course, that's the next section of mitzvot I want to deal with. The mitzvot that have to do with beta bechira, the mikdash, the halachot of kleha mikdash fa'uvdimbo, the utensils and those which, and that which was done and those which uh, did with them in the mikdash, and biata mikdash, the laws of coming to the mikdash and all that surrounds that. Kvar hoda'anu et ha-to'ilet klali, we already addressed in a general sense the uh, the significance now yadua he gets a little bit more specific it is well known he's, he writes he says the ways of the idolaters was to place their temples and their places of worship at the very top of the highest places that they could envision or find 
Pasuki quotes in the Torah, they would put it on Harim Haramim, the high and up top mountains. Lachen, continues Harambam, Hivdil Avraham Avinu et Sham. I mean, if you could find anything less, uh, anything more anticlimactic than that, I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd dare you to do so. He says, why is it that Several things. That Avraham chose Haramoria. First of all, what? God said, And uh, well, Avraham chose. Now, the Pasuk does say, does say about Avraham Avinu, but Harambam's impl- implication over here is that, Avraham, is that Avraham made a certain decision on his own that that's the right mountain. Okay, we maybe, like Rashi says in his commentary to the Torah, he saw a cloud there. Maybe there was some prophetic vision, some sort of uh, inspiration, divine inspiration. Says Arambam, nothing of it. You want to know why he chose Aramoria? Because the same way the idolaters would use the top of their mountains, so too, encountering that, he channeled that to God. Again, as I said a moment ago, try selling that to someone who wants to find a spiritual connect through the Torah. I mean, you rid it in the traditional sense, not obviously in the true depth. You rid it of, you know, all the pizzazz. Instead of saying, oh, Abraham was enlightened by God to say, this is the mountain. But understand what Arambam did in telling us that. He already defined for us Haramoriah, the Makom Hamikdash, as a place which was chosen for pragmatic reasons, practical decision making. Avraham says, if the idolaters go to the top of their mountains, I may as well appropriately counter that when I find God. Seriously? I thought it's because that mountain had a cloud and was oozing with sanctity. He already made quite several quite important and bold statements. Number one, that the mountain was chosen by Avraham. Number two, that the reason for choosing that mountain was because it's countering the ways of the idolaters. Very much reminiscent, of course, of his words with regards to Korbanot. Yeah, wouldn't this also follow suit to his and talks through that, um, again, Avraham, he didn't to a certain extent to a certain extent we'll link Lincoln all right, we want him to be consistent all right then he continues and it was there that Avraham declared proclaimed the oneness of God. Who yihed, furthermore, Avraham uh, specified, et kivun ha-tefillah, a little-known fact, whereas Harambam famously counts tefillah as um, a mitzvah ta'aseh from the Torah. Prayer is a positive commandment, ul'obdo b'chol levavchem, whereas Rashi, many others, Ramban Nachmani, have that as just a general statement, and the spe- specific prayer, amida or something of that sort, is only rabbinic in nature. For Hanambam, it's a mitzvah from the Torah, not per se the words, but the concept, the idea that you must pray daily, that's a mitzvah from the Torah for Hanambam. What does that enc- encompass? 
not mean to pray from the Torah. It encompasses the structure of prayer. Shevah bakashan hoda'ah, the structure of our amida that starts with praise of God and then makes requests of God and then is a thankfulness. That, that in and of itself is from the Torah, according to Harambam. Secondly, and this is what I mentioned as less known in his Sefer HaMitzvot, which is the definition from the Torah, he says as well, and praying in the direction of the Mikdash. That is from the Torah. That's an amazing thing. Nothing else about prayer for Haram Bam is from the Torah other than the structure and the direction that you pray. Not the mindset per se, you the direction. Not You're not fulfilling it. That's right. Says Haram Bam here, now with that background, here in Moren Vuchim, he says, You want to know who established that? Avraham. Oh, he must have noticed that the Shekhinah was in the West. Or in the east, I'm sorry, in the east, right? So we go to the Mizrah, to the east. He must have noticed something of that sort. Vigdir oto ma'arava bidyuk. And he noticed that it's to the west, you know, like depending on where you are, right? So it's to the west, uh, specifically when you're in the Mikdash, uh, well, the Kodesh HaKodashim is to the west. Mipenesh Kodesh HaKodashim me'arav. Now, where did he come up with that? Again, if we were to take... I want to say the 99% uh, approach to this matter, although I haven't scanned the uh, all rabbinic works or people, and most people would say something, and I wouldn't say they're wrong, per se, Haram Bam would, they would say, Avraham sensed, well, God's presence was there, you'll quote rabbinic statements and so forth. Says Haram Bam, you want to know how he chose that? Zoti mashma'ut varim First and foremost, he says, that's what the rabbis seem to be implying when they say that the indwelling, the Shekhinah, is in the West. Ah, well, getting somewhere. This is against everything we've been developing. This goes against any sort of kind he's talking about, inherent nature. What's that? So far it sounds like that. He's not going to actually say that. You know, so far he just he quoted a rabbinic statement that the Shekhinah is in the Ma'arab. He says, Avraham noticed something. It's hard to, as the footnote points out, locate exactly what Gemara is referring to, but he says there's some sort of binic statement that seems to support this statement. That the Kodesh HaKodashim is to the West. Now's where he gives us his clear uh, uh, opinion. My opinion, hata'am lezot, the reason that the West was specified and determined by Avraham as a significant, well, direction for prayer, hu mekubelet bazmana hu la'avod During that time period, people prayed to the sun. The sun, of course, rises in the east. As a result, people face to the east as they worship. Avraham, as a result, in order to counter that, takes the highest mountain, countering the ways of the Abu Dazara, and furthermore says, I'm going to take that highest mountain, but instead of even facing your direction, I'll go in the opposite direction. There was nothing he's implying inherent about that direction with regards to sanctity. It was instead... Negating the ways of Avu Lachen, that doesn't mean that once we do it, quote unquote, it's not a sanctified nature, whatever that means. It does mean that that was determined by and defined by us 
with purposeful reason, and it wasn't and isn't a matter of essence. He specifically wanted his neck, his back, to the sun. He says, I'll bring you a proof for this. Look at when Am Yisrael sinned. Look at the Pesukim. The Pasuk says in Sefer Hashem. Their back was to the Hechal, to the Mikdash. Ufnehem and their face was Kedma, to the east. Vehema Mishtahavim, and they were in turn bowing Kedma Lashemesh, to the east in the direction and to the sun. It means this idea of facing the West. It means that, yes, in America, I suppose that's what it seems like. It means that, in turn, the idea of going to the West or placing the Kodesh HaKodashim in the West and having this vision of Shekhinah b'ma'arav was, again, practical. It was pragmatic. It had to do with Avraham's definition of negating the ways of Avodah Zarah. Understand, at the very least, this wondrous matter. Kemochen, en li safek. Furthermore, I have no doubt. I think, I'm certain, says Harambam, that place, Haramoria, was known to Moshe. What do you mean? Villarabim, and the majority, many people knew. Mipene, she Avraham sivalahem, Avraham had a certain, in Harambam's understanding, command and setting forth for the future that that place, Haramoria, will be the place of worship. Pause for a second. Avraham? I read Sefer Devarim. I even read it from the Sefer this summer. Place, you're going to God not like the ways of the Avodah Zarah no, you're going to go you're going to go to the place that I have to find really? you're telling me Avraham says Harambam in the continued lines which we'll read in a moment Avraham defined it Moshe from God repeats it to the people without saying where it is for several practical reasons. He doesn't want the non-Jews to know, doesn't want to reveal it, but where did we come up with that place? Oh, Avraham determined that place. This is shocking. It's, 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 it's again, uh, to, to the 99% of shocking. understanding of these sorts of matters, you would never suggest such, such a thing. Harambam, but Harambam, but amazing. Now, does it stand ground in terms of logic? It very much does. Does it stand ground in terms of maybe what you're comfortable with, Ali, or something else? But Harambam has no... Let me repeat to you again. For Harambam, he's consistent with this. But he's consistent to the extent that the more you hear it, the more you allow for it to seep in, even a little, and the more appreciation you have because he's speaking, I think this is the way they sometimes say, a bottom-up instead of top-down. And each has merits. In other words, if I can be a person who's searching for uh, the word of God specifically, there's something to be said, especially if I can tap into that. Alternatively, sometimes you can relate to matters which are very real because you are part of their creation, because they speak to you, because you are continuing that or creating that. That's very much a Maimonidean type of vision on these matters. Kim as Harambam is wont to do, he quotes from Unculus. And here's the words of Unculus. What's that? Yes, to a certain extent. Uflah 
and he worshipped. Visali, and he prayed. Avraham Taman, this is in Bereshit, Perkafbet, Unculus writes this, so it's a reference to Haramoria. Avraham worshipped and prayed there on Haramoria. Beatrahahu, Makomahu, in that place. Ve'amar, and he said, Kodam Hashem, in front of God. Hacha, here, this is Unculus's translation of what took place in the aftermath of Haramoria. Here, and here's where I, I, I segue into our next point, which only continues what we've been discussing. Yehon Palhan This will be the place of worship for eternity. Okay, so what is the statement of Unkelos? Okay, I'm quickly summarizing the words of Harambam, then again the words of Unkelos, which I think will enter into our next point in hopefully strengthening the suggestion that we've made thus far in terms of understanding Harambam's words. Uh, so Unkelos, which concludes this, really concludes this conversation for our purposes, really comes as the, in my mind, climax of a conversation that he's been having with us, Harambam. He's been speaking to us and explaining to us uh, without specifically saying what he's coming to negate, but it's not too hard to figure it out. He's describing Haramoria, Makoma Mikdash, the Mikdash to a certain extent. Its Kiddusha is not one which was was and is of essence, so to speak, because God just revealed to us inherent in that respect. It was rather created or defined or determined by Avraham. Okay, but he must have had it from prophetic, divine and revelation and inspiration. No, says Arambam. These were determined by him. He's quite clear about this for practical reasons, and it's a negation of Abu Dazarat. He concludes it, and for me, this is the climax, if we read it properly, with the words of Unculus. Now, he quotes, quotes Unculus because he's saying that Avraham had a command for future generations. This is where you'll be. I got it. But here's what I want to just focus on for a moment or two. This is, at, at some point in my life, what triggered me in this panic, not the rest of it. It took longer to appreciate the rest. But this part was uh, the definition. If I were to turn to, uh, before this class, uh, or even in, and certainly to other people, and say to them, what is it about Mikdash? Define for me, what is Mikdash? Now, there are many answers, all suitable and all appropriate, but I want to know what defines it. Of course, there's many, when I could talk about any human being, I could define so many qualities, so many characteristics. What is your essence? What is the core of Mikdash? Generally speaking, to the best of my guess, although I'm guessing I have not tested this, people would say that's the place where God's indwelling is most manifested. It's the makom hashechinah. It's the abode of God. That's usually... It doesn't not say that. I mean, you know, shachanti betocham. Ve'asuli mikdash v'shachanti betocham. Understood, but, but with regards to the Mishkan, the Torah and Parashat, I would be okay if someone made that claim. Arambam won't negate that. He just won't say, we'll read in a moment, that it is the core function of the Mikdash, probably for the reasons that you're, the reason that you're mentioning, Gabi. Uh, so instead, uh, if you read again together with me, what does Unkulu say the Makoma Mikdash is about? What is it? It's Uflah v'sali Avraham taman be'atrahu ve'amar kodam Hashem hacha yehon palhan daraya. This will be the place of daraya, means for dorot, for future, for perpetual, for eternity. Uh, what will it be? It'll be a place of palhan, 
of worship. The Mikdash for Harambam is a place where you worship. That's its definition. It's not defined by the indwelling because you found from your forefather at the command of God afterwards a place which is most appropriate to worship in. Now, once you've worshipped there, there is, in one way or another, in ways that I can't fully define, a indwelling of God. He's told us that. We can appreciate that. He tells us to go there because Abraham picked it. Yes, and once you worship there, you've now, quote, brought the sanctity to it, as opposed to envisioning it in the opposite direction, which would probably be the standard way of envisioning it. That's the place of indwelling, and therefore go there to worship. Now, keep in mind, and I'm not certain, and I did search because I may have read this at some point, um, Alternatively, it's, it's just an extension of the words of Harambam. Keep in mind that in Sefer Devarim, there's a real fear that in the land of Canaan, Harambam alluded to this earlier and to a certain extent, uh, worship was everywhere. It was anywhere. Uh, it's not the way it's going to be. It's kim makom which means to say God almost spells out this concept. He says the purpose for the Mikdash is not per se that the Mikdash is the only place. It's just negating the ways of Avodah Zarah. They find it for us it doesn't work that way. We specify places. Otherwise you get lost. Otherwise you get stuck in the ways of Avodah Zarah. Again, speaking to the practical nature as opposed to the essence, the inherent nature of Mikdash. Uh, to try to uh, stress this a bit more, uh, first and foremost, uh, take a look, if you will, on this source sheet in front of you um, at source number three. This is from um, one of the works of Rabbi Salah it's actually one of his first published works. It's a book called Halachic Man, in my opinion. Very much worth the read. Lots of interesting um, and stimulating conversations to be had from this book. Uh, but in, in a section that's to a certain extent addressed to what we've been talking about. He doesn't uh, formulate it in the same way. He doesn't elaborate in the same way. He's not so much focused on Maimonidean Harambam thought. He's focused on what he's defining as halachic man, and we could discuss that on another occasion. He writes the following, Holiness is created by man, by flesh and blood, in and of themselves. Those words are very Harambamian, right? Are those words... Holiness is created by human beings. I almost, uh, if, if, you're not, if you're not sensitized to this already, I almost uh, shake hearing those words. Seriously? What are you talking By definition, holiness means it's divine. It's from God. Not denying that there's godliness. Quite the opposite. It certainly is about God. However, what brings it? However, where did it emanate from? Though the power, through, excuse me, the power of our mouths, through verbal sanctification alone, we can create holy offerings for the temple treasury and holy offerings for the altar. He's, in a sentence, appealing to this concept known as hekdesh. As much of Talmud and Mishnayot dedicated to hekdesh, a person can say, this is Kodesh. And by so doing, it becomes sanctified. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Says, uh, A.B. says this is very much in line with what he told us in his other book, The Emergence of Ethical Man, where he talked about the sanctity of the land, and he aligned himself with 
Harambam, even though he didn't say it there, but he did tell us not like Rabbi Yudah Levi and not like Ramban. He'll allude to it here in one in a few words as well, A.B. The land, there it is. The land of Israel becomes holy through conquest. That's Kibusha Aretz. Jerusalem and the temple courts, the uh, Hatserot of the Mikdash, through bringing two loaves of thanksgiving, Yerushalayim, or the remainder of the meal offering, temple court and song, etc. He's referring to the words of Harambam, as it says in brackets. It is man who sanctifies space and makes a sanctuary for his creator. Now, those are all very significant words. Those last words, most significant for our purposes, it's man who sanctifies space and makes a sanctuary for his creator. That's very much in line with what we've been discussing. I want to pause for just one more moment again and speak about this psychologically and appreciation from a psychological perspective. The knee-jerk response of people initially hearing this sort of approach, which again, as Sammy has repeated to everyone more than once, is not the mainstream approach. Generally speaking, people see this as almost heretical. How could this be? It takes away my meaning in terms of appreciating Judaism. Man can create I, it. But it, 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 if anything, if appreciated appropriately, it can, it, it can strengthen a connection. It means there's, a, there's an onus of responsibility upon us. It means that we can and should be um, relevant with regards to all that is sanctified and holy in Judaism. It, 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 is, it is created and upheld by you. It's not just separate from you. Now, to this extent, Rabbi Soloveitchik cites in that context what is for me, maybe because of him, I don't know, I've certainly seen it as, as quoted elsewhere, uh, in my mind, a famous midrash. It's in source number four. Now, this midrash, I believe, would be hard to read, although it could be read, uh, in any other light other than the, uh, the light that we've shed until now. Uh, the midrash has the following, again, it's somewhat relevant for the upcoming parashot. It says here in source number four, as God commanded Moshe, create for me a mikdash. Moshe had a question. This is not in the text. Moshe began matmia questioning. He was wondering, and he was saying, The honor, the glory of God, it fills the upper realms and the lower realms. And he's telling me, to create an abode, a sanctuary for him? This is the Midrash. Now again, understand the question. The question, well, the question, I get. I get the it, question, but, but then everything's holy. But understand, there's, there's, there's no place. Which to a certain extent is, is the assumption. If, if this God is a place which is place. housing God, how could I possibly structure it? What space could I make? It would need to be the space and size of the world. What does it mean to make such a sanctuary? I think it's something, it's what, what does it say about God if there's a space that he's contained in? Which is, this, which is, the, which is the point. Right. He's okay. telling me to make it, says Moshe, what does it mean to make he's that? Saying, right. If you say, he's saying, I'm going to rest And Moshe I'm not resting there. I get it. I get it. Right, skipping, skipping a few words of derasha in the Midrash, let's arrive at the answer. God responds to Moshe, Your understanding is very different than my own. Here's the amount of planks and walls I want there, and there, and so forth. What? 
I thought, I thought we should make this the size of the universe. No, just a small little tent. And not only that, I'm going to descend. I'm going to come down. I'm going to cloister myself within this small little chamber known as an Aron. Effectively, what the Midrash seems to be telling us is this Mishkan is not so much an inherent space of godliness as much as it's a construction which we, built, put forth, and in turn created a sanctity which in, ter- which in turn emanates from within. It's a statement in direction. Is this God's glory and honor which was and is and now I'm making something around it or is it alternatively God says make this I'll come and encounter you there. There is a, uh, an irony with regards to the usage of the word simsum uh, in contrast to the world of Kabbalah, which uses the word simsum very differently and very telling in that context for another time. Okay, well, that all being the case, just to, just to fully clothe this sort of concept, Ramban Nachmani in source number five in his commentary to Parashat Terumah, he very clearly and explicitly states the purpose of the Mishkan was and is for the Shekhinah. Hine, Hem Kedoshim. He's referring immediately before that to Pesukim that described the sanctity of Am Yisrael. Reuim, as a result, they're worthy and it's appropriate. Sheyebahem Mikdash lehashrot Shekhinah tom The primary function of the Mishkan is Hashrat Shekhinah, indwelling of God. Sanctified people need holy presence. What's the, as a result of this definition of Mishkan, uh, that it is for the indwelling, for the presence of God, what's the primary, what's the focal point of us thinking and looking at the Mishkan? It's got to be the Aaron. The Aaron, after all, is the place where God would, so to speak, talk to Moshe. If it's all about the encounter and the dwelling of God, so then it's the Aaron. Everything else maybe is a way to, but that's what we're looking at. That's Ramban. That's the other side of the picture. That's the other side of the spectrum over here. The definition of Mishkan, unlike Haramban, is telling us or will tell us it's not about the service and the worship per se, as he quoted from Unculus. That's a mechanism, but effectively what it's about is the Shekhinah, Harambam, would you know it? In his Sefer HaMitzvot, which we said, where he counts the 613 mitzvot, in the 20th of the mitzvot aseh, he talks about this mikdash. He talks about the mitzvah of binyan beta mikdash. We were commanded. Okay, I was going to find it in the Pasuk, mikdash, to create a sanctuary. What will you do there? What's the purpose? You'll worship. There'll be a constant fire, which is lit by you. And you'll face it. Remember the facing it? We know why we face there. We face there. But we, when we look at the, the gold angels, right? Should we not be... Well, know? just give me a second. Are we, are we looking at that according to Harambam? We're looking at the Mikdash. That's where you're going to have the, the, the holiday gathering and sacrifices. That's true. You're not even, you're, you're thinking about envisioning it. You're not actually looking at it. And that's where we're going to gather every year. And he says, first and foremost, he already defined for us. What is Mikdash? Nothing about Shekhinah. What's Mikdash? Gathering, sacrificing, worshipping, facing. It's us. Nothing inherent. Amazing thing. Amazing thing. 
aftermath when we created things like where we're sitting right now. What's it called? Or the what? Kinesis? Kinesis. We're gathering. Nice. Ironically, the Mikdash Me'at, as Knis, is not so much removing, suggests Sammy, from the essence of the Mikdash, it's continuing it. And it's recreating it. You should know this general concept has details. Okay, tell me the details. First and foremost, you're going to tell me the Aaron, right? After all, the Torah, and that was really Ramban Nachmani's proof, Torah begins with Aaron. Parashat Terumah begins. It goes straight into defining the Aaron. Haraman's going to tell us, what's in this Mikdash? Listen carefully. Can't miss it. What are they? Amenorah, Shohan, Mizbeach, Vizulatam, Kulam Mechalkeh Mikdash. One more time. Menorah, Shohan, Mizbeach. Where's the Aaron? That's what's known as Mikdash. I don't, I, I'm certain he's not actually excluding Aaron, but he's deciding and telling us the essence of the Mikdash is not the Aaron. Aaron is important. Aaron is the Shekhinah as we envision it. But what is the Mikdash? What is Mishkan? It's the Avodah, it's the Menorah, it's the altar, it's the, it's the Mizbeach, it's, uh, it's the Shohan, it's everything that we do there. It's an amazing thing. He left out the Aaron. Can't miss it. Haram Baman is Mishneh Torah. Without the Aaron, there's no Mishkan. Even with an Aaron, it's no not Mishkan. But, but that goes back to saying Aaron doesn't involve behavior or activity. It's a symbol. Correct. Action is the focus. Is what Mikdash is. Action is something that's Menorah oriented or Shohan or Mizbeach. Well said. These things are Kodesh. These things that he Yes. Edut is, is probably the lashon of the Torah. It, there is so so that's what. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's there there, there is a tremendous debate amongst medieval and then modern mifarshim about whether Aaron is called, it seems clear, it is sometimes very much called Mikdash and Kodesh in and of itself, but Harambam again, purposefully, clearly is leaving it off this list, very telling. Lastly, on this note, and then we'll conclude with one more you know, linear observation with regards to appreciating this perspective of Mikdash. In source number seven, Harambam at the very onset of his laws of Hilchot Beta Behira, a description of the Beta Mikdash, Mitzvah Ta'aseh, so it's not only in Sefer Mitzvot, La'asot Bait Hashem. To make an abode for God. Okay, what is that? Muchan lihiot what? Hashechinash betochot. Now what he writes. What's it prepared for? Makrivimbo korbanot, hogigin et lav shalosh pe'amim bashana. That's all defined by Shenemar ve'asulu mikdash shachadim betochot. What's that? We can't have mikdash per se. We can have mikdash me'at. Okay, I understand your problem, Ali. I understand your question. So then why is there one specific place? It goes back to the same questions we have had in the past. So then why Israel, which Joe was asking at the beginning. Those are all important questions, not which don't have answers. It's just a diminished, it's a different appreciation than you would have had beforehand. The last issue I want to address in this context goes like this. It's just, uh, this is just for kicks. This is just the cherry on top in my mind. And I've always uh, associated with this. And there is, and that's why it's, it's most exciting for me to uh, address it now, is because everyone seems to know this Midrash. Most people accept it just as Peshat, as just the way it will be. This third Beit HaMikdash, which 
which is described and is mentioned in more than one place in in uh, in, uh, in in Nevi'im and uh, and even in Ketubim. Uh, what's it? Where's it going to come from? How's it going to uh, arrive? So everyone seems to, have, as A.P. pointed, as well aware, you know, with a big smile on his face, it's going to come from the heavens. There's several midrashim. I quoted one in source number eight that say it will come from the heavens. It says the midrash and Chumayir in source number eight. You created these abodes for me that had these physical walls. I'll build the next one. And it'll be surrounded by a wall of fire won't be penetrable, it won't be destroyable. Okay, and Rashi, in his commentary to Masechet Sukkah, uh, writes explicitly, quotes from this, Tosafot quotes from this as well, in their definition of uh, intricacies in the Sukya over there. It's an interesting take uh, why he injects this. He doesn't just throw it in. He injects it as interpreting the words in the Gemara, uh, not really our issue right now. And the uh, future Mikdash, says, um, says Rashi, that we're looking forward to, it'll arrive from the heavens. More than once I've mentioned this, and people have said to me, no, nobody actually takes that literally. Rashi, I can't explain it otherwise. He's defining the words in the Gemara. He can't read the Gemara otherwise. He is taking it literally. Not my issue, per se, right now, about the literal uh, message. It is more about, well, what does that mean? If we're defining Mikdash in a Rambamian type of uh, prism, if our perspective of Mikdash is one in which it's all about what we've done, how we've created it, how could, what is this third Mikdash? It's really going to be like, I'm talking about an altogether different reality. Would you know it? Harambam will have nothing of this. I'm certain he was aware of if these Midrashim were circulating in his time, those Midrashim, and I'm certain he interpreted them however he interpreted them for the message, whatever it is he understood them as uh, imparting to us. But with regards to the physical structure that in his mind, will be in the future, he writes explicitly in source number 10, among other places, in Perik Yodal Filchot Melachim, first in Halacha Aleph, and then in Halacha Dalit, HaMelech HaMashiach, the Messiah in the future, Atid La'amod La'chazir Machut David, it should say, Li'yoshna, Le'mem Shala Rishona, restore the kingship, okay, scary thought, Ubone HaMikdash, and he'll build the temple, that's it. And of course, he'll uh, bring forth uh, the ingathering of the exiles. Who's going to build it? Not on his own, I assume. He'll appoint others. He'll put together a building process. How do you know if it's Melech HaMashiach? If he constructed it and he brought him forth, that's Melech HaMashiach. Harambam needs to say that. How could he envision it otherwise? That's part, part of the signs he needs to bring forth. But again, for our purposes, that's right. For our purposes, more than anything, for a Rambam perspective of Kodesh, of Mikdash, of Mishkan, of Kiddushah, it can't be any other way. There's no such thing as it emanated or descended from the heavens and therefore is. It will not be so in such a circumstance, getting back to our psychological underpinnings, it will be, I believe he would tell us, irrelevant to us. That won't be Kodesh. That'll be something altogether different. Kodesh is, back to the words of Rabbi Soloveitchik, holiness is created by man. 
by flesh and blood. To summarize and to conclude this next segment in the conversation of Kedushah for Harambam, not only is Lashon HaKodesh not inherently sanctified and divinely uh, uh, in terms of essence, uh, nor is Eretz HaKodesh as such, but even the Mikdash itself is defined seemingly by Harambam from the More in his description of the place uh, as defined and determined by Avraham through what its purpose is as Unculus began us in and Harambam continued in terms of sacrifice, in terms of worship, in terms of human beings' involvement and down to the future Mikdash which needs to be created by human beings. Mikdash is created, sustained and brought forth in terms of its Kedushah by human beings. Not something of essence, not something inherently just there and is, but rather something very relevant, very much uh, putting the onus of responsibility upon us, very much determining a Torah as a a living body and, and work and mission which defines for us who we need to be, what we need to do, as opposed to what just is. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen, Amen.